Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Meriwether and Tharp, your source for Georgia divorce. Find them online at theatlantadivorceteam.com. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. So I think you probably realize that one of the great rivalries in college football right now, and it's not a historic rivalry necessarily, but it's certainly one that's kind of popped up recently, the rivalry between Georgia and Alabama, what we believe to be a rivalry between the two coaches, Kirby Smart and Nick Saban. And if you really kind of polled Smart and Saban on some of their viewpoints in college football, I think you might find some differences in opinion all along the way there. Uh, two guys just kind of view the sport somewhat differently, probably because of the vantage point by which they look at the sport. Kirby, a young guy, young lion in the early stage of his career. Nick Saban, a obviously all-time great, but a guy who's in the winter of his career. And that perspective probably just gives them some different opinions from time to time however there are moments in which they probably do align a bit certainly philosophically maybe more so than anything else and I want to share what I believe is probably an example of that and I want to kind of use the words here of Nick Saban to set up what I believe is probably also a little bit of a goal and a mission for UGA and it actually kind of ties in pretty nicely with some of the stuff that we've already been talking about here a little bit this week now I gotta tell you something I don't really love saying good things about Nick Saban, not because Saban never does anything good and certainly not because Saban isn't great as a coach. He obviously is. But there is no shortage of media elsewhere outside the bubble of Dog Nation that all they ever do is praise Nick Saban for his greatness and all they ever do is praise Nick Saban for how, you know, uh, uh, diabolical genius, whatever else they want to say about him. There are plenty of places that you can go to get praise for Nick Saban around here. We just don't really feel like that needs to be done because that's been done somewhere else. However, there was something that he said this week that or at least it came uh, to light this week. Maybe he said it a few days ago. I really don't know when he said it. But I think it's probably a pretty good thing to stop and pause on for a moment and, and and kind of reflect on the ways in which that probably pretty closely aligns with Kirby Smart's feelings a little bit, too. So we are in the deep, you know, dark part of the offseason right now where coaches are kind of doing a lot of rubber chicken circuit type stuff, celebrity golf tournaments. You know, we saw Kirby the other day swinging the golf club and having the exploding golf ball like nothing says, uh, you know, peak offseason more than like pranks on a golf course or whatever else or coaches being asked questions about something other than their own depth chart, their own team, whatever else. This is the time of year when it's a little bit OK to ask a coach something that's not quite so related to football and it's a little bit OK to to, to maybe get a different kind of answer for, from them on that. So Saban's doing a uh, rubber chicken type thing of the night, you know, one of these banquet type deals. Local reporter out of the state of Alabama, TV reporter, asked Saban, hey, who are some of the celebrities or like famous people that you kind of admire? And listen, if you ask Saban that a, in a press conference, I mean, you know, in the middle of the season, that just seems like a, you know, distraction. But asking a question like that during the offseason, kind of seems okay to do that I would say I thought Saban gave a pretty interesting answer and for someone who's been as successful as Saban has been Saban's words about success the mindset that's allowed him to be successful the things that he values honestly it's probably worth us spending a little time on even if we don't really like Nick Saban all that much so this was Saban and some audio that came to light earlier this week here's the coach anybody in any profession who has had a tremendous amount of success I have an admiration for that because I know how difficult it is. I don't care if it's in the music industry and you're the Eagles or Michael Jackson or um, the Rolling Stones. I mean, those people have been successful for a long, long time. Elton John. Um, so, you know, I admire that. Uh, I admire Kobe Bryant. Uh, I admire uh, Michael Jordan, guys who were dominant for a long long time and they did it on a very consistent basis because you know some people can be dominant for a little while but it takes a special someone because it's not really human nature to try to be the best you can be it's human nature to survive so i think that's really interesting and what saban basically says there is hey you know the people who were committed to coming back and winning 
year after year after year. You know, Saban referenced a lot of musical acts right there. In music, there's the concept of the the one-hit wonder, someone who has a great hit song or maybe a great year, great album, but they don't quite have the staying power. And what Saban says there is, and honestly, Saban, like a lot of folks, is probably talking about himself when he says this, but what Saban says there is, hey, give me that athlete like Kobe Bryant or that musical act like the Rolling Stones or, you know, whatever else. Give me that key figure who had a, who had the the ability to kind of stay on top for a long period of time. And admittedly, when we look at Nick Saban, that is the thing that's probably the most amazing, right? I mean, this is a guy who's won, you know, national championships over the course of multiple presidential administrations, George W. Bush and Obama and and, uh, and Trump. I mean, this is a guy that's won, you know, national championships over the course of a long period of time here, going back to his time at LSU, going back to now more than a decade there at Alabama. This is a guy who's proven that staying power, and it is one of the things that has made, uh, I think, that you know, Saban's so revered in the sporting world is the fact that he's shown that consistency, that ability to come back and do it at a great high level year after year after year. And obviously that's kind of the next step for Kirby Smart there too, upon winning the national championship to prove that he's more than just kind of the, to use the phrase I used a moment ago, the one hit wonder, the guy that has you know, a short period of dominance. He, he, Kirby wants to be more than that. Kirby wants to be the guy that sticks around for a very long time. Now, I told you yesterday and have told you for a while that I think that Kirby Smart and Georgia are actually pretty well aligned to be able to do that. Because when you look at recent national champions over the course of, like, let's say, the last 15 years or so out of the SEC that fell off dramatically after winning the national title, those three schools, in my mind, all kind of have one thing in common. Think about Florida post, uh, you know, national championship in 2008. Think about Auburn post national championship in 2010. Think about LSU post national championship in 2019. That's obviously the most recent example here. And what you see from all three of those teams that a couple of years after winning a national championship were already looking for a new football coach, the absence of that kind of dynamic central figure at the quarterback position. After Tim Tebow, Florida was never the same. After Cam Newton left Auburn, Auburn after the 2010 season that program is never the same and obviously LSU thus far hasn't really been the same after the uh, Joe Burrow era there as well Georgia by comparison to to go back to what Nick Saban said a moment ago about being consistently great year after year after year I think is set up much better to be able to do that than some recent SEC national champions have been simply because Georgia as a program is a lot more decentralized, meaning there isn't one player who's mostly responsible for the success that Georgia enjoyed last year. It's kind of on both sides of the ball. It was a lot on defense, but no one player creating that. There were a lot of different players who kind of added up to all of that, that Georgia was a program that certainly used a team concept towards winning a national championship. And as Georgia gets ready to compete again for a national championship it's once again that commitment to team where really no player is any bigger than the other that allows Georgia to establish that kind of consistent level of greatness that Nick Saban says he values we would presume that uh that Kirby Smart does there as well plus there's this you know if you look at the other team besides Alabama that's won multiple national championships in the playoff era that team is Clemson and you've seen, you've seen Clemson kind of go on that run of dominance they were on. They won a couple of national championships, were in the playoff a good number of years. Maybe now they're starting to fall off. But there's one thing you've got to keep in mind that kind of makes Georgia and Clemson different there in that regard. That's the fact that Georgia, over the course of the long haul, has just simply recruited a lot better than Clemson has, bringing in that elite talent year after year after year. We've told you before that Kirby Smart understands that you have to have elite talent. You can't take years off in recruiting. You can't take a, a lackadaisical approach to that. But when you get those guys on campus, you've got to ask them to commit to to being a part of a team, something that's bigger than they are, uh, to, to be willing to get tougher and develop to get better over the course of the long haul. That's the kind of Kirby doctrine that we've uh, – kind of described so if we were to guess does Kirby Smart's feelings kind of closely align with Nick Saban on how much you value the opportunity to come and be consistent year after year after year we think we 
probably would expect Kirby Smart to say something similar to that. In fact, you know, Kirby kind of talked about that the other day when he made an appearance on ESPN. He was on with Stephen A. Smith and he was with N'Kobe Dean. They were talking about the NFL draft. But uh, Stephen A. was also kind of interested in getting some thoughts from Kirby on his process at Georgia, leaving Alabama, coming to Georgia, taking on that challenge and the kind of need to be consistently great year after year in the grind of the SEC. This is something that Smart seems to fully understand and fully appreciate. In fact, he knew what he was getting into when he took this job on the basis of what he said on ESPN last week. This is Kirby Smart. Nine years there at University of Alabama, and then to get the opportunity to come home to my alma mater, it was a no-brainer, right? It's a top ten job in the country. It's a top five job in the country. So when I got to go back, I knew the, the, the race in the SEC is brutal. I mean, it's, it's, it's brutal recruiting in the SEC, coaching in the SEC, but you get to coach guys like this. And I knew taking on that role that we'd have to uh, get through the SEC gauntlet, but if you get through that, sometimes the playoffs are even easier. And, uh, and that's what we've been able to do when we get into the playoffs. It, it's like playing an SEC team every week. So listen, I think when you listen to Kirby Smart there, I think what you hear is a guy that does value what Nick Saban, the clip we played for you a moment ago, says he values, which is consistent greatness showing up year after year after year. And Smart acknowledges in the clip you just heard, that's not an easy thing to be able to do. But that is the mission that Georgia's on right now, to to follow up a national championship with another great season in 2022 and go nowhere in terms of the national landscape in 2023 and beyond. And Here's what I think is fun. As someone who's a fan of college football and also is interested in what other fans think, you can tell right now how much, whether it be Alabama fans or just SEC fans who are not Georgia fans or just college football fans in general who happen not to be Georgia fans, you can tell how worried they are about all of this. They really want Georgia to be a one and done. They really want Georgia to kind of fall apart the way that LSU did after winning a national championship in 2019. They really hope that the evidence that's being put together right now doesn't add up to what it seems like it's adding up to, which is Georgia truly having some staying power to last as long as Nick Saban's lasted at Alabama, to value that consistent greatness the same way that Saban does, even longer than Clemson thus far has been able to prove, uh, able to do, even better than the Ohio State and the LSUs, which have you know, kind of not really been the same at times after winning their own recent national championship. They really hope that Georgia isn't the next in terms of the category of truly consistently great year after year after year. But deep down, you sort of think they know, hmm, boy, Kirby may have got this thing figured out and Kirby may truly have Georgia ready to compete on a consistent basis, much the same way that Nick Saban has and the same way that Nick Saban says he values in other greats in the world of sports and music and everything else so pretty good stuff there from Saban and Kirby let me shift gears here now and talk about something completely different you know obviously a show like this we can't take every rumor all that seriously but there are obviously you know no shortage of time spent during the day paying attention whatever the rumors are out there in college football whatever folks are talking about and now that we've kind of reached that transfer portal deadline for UGA there is you know some curiosity of well not just for UGA but for all college football there's some curiosity of okay well who might Georgia be pursuing the transfer portal we believe that Georgia's going to go after at least one or two guys there who is someone that Georgia might be going after the transfer transfer portal there has been some online chatter as of late for instance about a guy named Isaiah Land who was a very prolific sacker of the quarterback playing for Florida A&M last season he is in the transfer portal big sack numbers and on his Instagram story here over the course of the last 24 hours he has put out some different images of some of the teams I guess that I don't know this is his list of finalists or this is the list of teams that are in pursuit of him but one of the photos that got used here was the University of Georgia I'll uh, show you this here just briefly that's Isaiah Land on Twitter there Uh, the photo is obviously UGA this was one of a series about five or six included like the Auburns and the LSUs and the programs like that so maybe some example here maybe some evidence here of georgia going after someone in the transfer portal there's another photo of land right there too in his uh rattlers uh you but it's nice that's kind of a nice fit right there nice color scheme there for the uh rattlers of uh fam there on that so uh pretty good stuff for uh land we will continue to follow this story i i i, I don't know if uh this is a guy that's gonna end up at uga but it certainly feels like it's a position fit because he was uh, an edge rusher we thought georgia kind of needed a uh, guy like that there's a little bit of a, a geographic fit here there as well land is from loganville went to uh, grayson high school so there's a little bit of a potential 
potential connection there too although over the years i don't know that george and Gray, uh, grayson have been quite as connected to some uga fans which they would have been so there's a little bit of uh i guess common sense that might you know lead you to believe that george and land might have uh, a budding relationship here and land's own instagram has uh, giving you some indication of that, but he's also mentioned some other schools there too. So a name worth noting and a story worth following. And we'll see if what is a little more than a rumor now kind of erupts into something more substantial in the uh, time to come. But as always, it's great to have you in the program today. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We are presented by Meriwether and Tharp. We're glad to have you with us, no matter how you get to us, live on video. 9.45, usually we were running a little late today, I have to admit. Uh, DogNation.com, DogNation app, 10 a.m. after that, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, Radio Noon, Athens Sports Radio 960 Ref, and a podcast wherever you find them, including the world-famous DogNation.com, also Apple, Spotify, everything else. Just happy to have you with us as a part of the program today, and a big thanks to our friends at Merriweather and Tharp for making it all possible. You know this. Merriweather and Tharp is your source for Georgia divorce. Now, let me tell you what that means. For so many of you, and unfortunately, this is just true, the divorce process is just kind of a real thing. And maybe you thought it would never happen to you. Obviously, when most people enter into a marriage, they assume that's not going to happen to them. But we also know that real life sometimes creeps in and you end up dealing with things that you initially probably didn't think you're going to have to deal with. And so the question is, okay, what do you do now that this is a reality? Well, that's where Meriwether and Tharp becomes a big advocate on your side because they understand a couple of things that really matter. The law and how the law can be leveraged to your benefit, but also the emotional weight of divorce and how you can also navigate that process there as well. This is the kind of institutional knowledge that you gain from having attorneys who've been through situations like this thousands of times before. And of course, your situation is specific to your circumstances. I totally understand that. And yet there are still things that you can learn from an initial conversation with one of those Meriwether and Tharp attorneys. The good news is that's a free conversation. And then after that, you can make the decision to hire Meriwether and Tharp and let them do great work for you. So please make sure you check them out. Uh, online the atlanta divorce team.com that's the atlanta divorce team.com meriwether and tharp is your source for georgia divorce okay we're gonna get terrence edwards here coming up in just a moment i don't want to keep him waiting too long but i want to go around the doghouse here for a moment before we get to terrence because i think one of the most interesting stories in fact maybe it's the single most interesting story to come out of former georgia players in the nfl draft last week was Nicobe Dean, the way that he fell, the way that kind of a groupthink mentality seemed to plague that Dean situation. I, I told you during the week, I thought that was kind of ridiculous the way in which some teams kind of seemed to all just kind of fall into the same line of thinking on Dean in a pretty silly fashion. Well, the guy who was smart enough to take Nicobe Dean is uh, Howie Roseman, the GM for the Philadelphia Eagles. And Roseman made an appearance, a big sports show up in Philadelphia, a uh, radio show up there. He makes an appearance with Angelo Cataldi and kind of talks a little bit about, you know, what it what took place to lead the Eagles to get a chance to draft Nicobe Dean. The thought was that he wouldn't be available to them. And Roseman says he just sort of sits back and remarks at just how it all happened that that the Eagles were able to get a player of the caliber of Dean in the third round of the NFL draft. This is a little longer audio than we typically play. I'm going to break this up into a couple of clips here, but it's too good not to share Roseman, the GM of the Eagles, on the process that led them to draft N'Kobe Dean. Very interesting stuff. Howie Roseman from WIP uh, in Philadelphia. You know, I had a chance to go down to Georgia because it's like one-stop shopping, you know, like a, if I'm going to go on a school call, like maybe just go to the place that there's like nine guys on defense that are going to be drafted. So I went down there and, you know, I'm asking about all these guys and I'm asking about Jordan and I'm asking about, you know, the other guys on defense. And, um, you know, at one point, you know, a guy who I'm really close with down there, he says to me, he's like, the best player on our defense is Nicobe Dean. You haven't even asked about him yet. I'm like, I'm going to get to Nicobe. I got him. Like, you know, like everyone there talks about the alpha dog. Everyone there talks about like this guy. And then you walk, put on the tape and it's instincts, it's explosiveness, it's toughness. It's just the, and you combine that with the character and it's like, man, this guy's got a chance to be a special player. And, and for us, you know, like I, I, sometimes you get in the middle of a draft and this happens, right? Sometimes it's almost like 
everyone goes, well, like, why aren't they taking him? And then, it, and then if the guys fall further, because it's like, maybe they know something I don't know. Isn't that interesting that Roseman, who's in these meetings, in these circles with other NFL personnel men, acknowledging that the NFL guys, the guys who are supposed to be professionals, who are supposed to do this for a living, can fall prey to groupthink and can make a silly error like passing on to Kobe Dean, including our own hometown team here, the Atlanta Falcons. They can make a, an error like that simply because they become afraid because other teams are kind of making the same decision, so something must be wrong here, and didn't I tell you the other day that's exactly what appears to have happened with Dean Roseman, the guy who made the draft pick, essentially acknowledging that? I think that's very interesting. Roseman also had more to say about the decision to draft Dean. I thought it was good. Here's more of him. And so um, I was the same way. You know, when we were going to take him in the second, there wasn't even this discussion. All right, you know, he's a linebacker. He didn't test, you know, maybe falls to the second round. Got it, you know. And we picked Cam, and that, that was a hard decision, you know. And, and then – you kind of get out of your mind. There's like, there's no way Nicobe's going to fall to our next pick. So you don't even think about it. You know, you're just like, I just lost Nicobe Dean. And you're a little bummed, but that's what happens in the draft. You're going to lose players. And then as it started to get like, you know, 10 to 15 picks away, and I'm a little superstitious. So like, I don't even want to speak it. You know, I kind of wrote it down. I wrote, I, I, I literally wrote on a piece of paper, Nicobe Dean, Nicobe Dean, right? And I wrote it. And because I, I, I figured, you know, there's some even probably people in our draft room are like, he ain't going to pick a linebacker. You know, he's not going to do it, right? That's probably what you were saying. And so I wrote, just so people knew. And um, and when I walked out and I, I went to our docs, I'm like, am I missing something? And like, no, Howie, we talked about Nicobe Dean. Like, they, we're telling you, we're good. If you draft him, he's going to be there. And then at, like five picks before I picks, I said, you're sure. And we went through it. And um, then it was just, you know, really excited to get him. Isn't that interesting? Roseman saying, I went to our doctors. Is something going on here? Should I know something? The doctor saying, no, we're fine with you drafting Kobe Dean. Then checking back with them again, still same answer. We're fine with you drafting Kobe Dean. I mean, I think the Kobe story is one of the most compelling of the entire draft, how everybody seemingly in the league kind of fell prey to the same group thing. Dean says he was lied about. Dean says that there was this malicious rumor about him being more injured than he truly was that cost him millions of dollars. And, you know, Seth Joyner uh, was on, you know, one of the, I guess, NFL Network or something. And he talked about that, that you never get that first round money back. Dean says that he was on the un, he was on the side of an unfair campaign against him. And in the case of Roseman with the Eagles, they seem to be confirming some version of that because it sounds like he's going to be a full go for their rookie minicamp which will get started here uh, very soon very compelling very candid remarks there from the gm of the philadelphia eagles who i believe in this instance comes across looking a lot smarter than some of his colleagues there in the national football leagues good stuff we're around the doghouse this is dog nation daily presented by meriwether and tharp here today i want to have more on the nfl draft coming up with uh terrence edwards here and something else we're going to ask terrence on the show today because terrence obviously with us uh, every thursday so earlier this week i probably fanned the flames of some hype and some uh you know hysteria around Ari gilbert as you start to think about who are some of those breakout stars for georgia that could be heavy in the draft conversation for the upcoming season is that too much hype for gilbert from a guy that knows him well we'll ask uh terrence that before we're all said and done today there as well so a lot to discuss glad to have you with us as we do terrence edwards here on dog nation daily presented by meriwether and tharp Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead. Here's a DogNation.com insider. It's a busy, it's a busy spring for Terrence Edwards. He's working as an individual coach. He's working with the Milton High School football program there as well. He's on a football field seemingly just about every day. So it's a valuable time that Edwards has, and we're happy that he shares some of that with us here today. Terrence, thanks for being on the program. I got a lot I want to talk to you about, but I'll just kind of start here with the NFL draft. You know what it's like to be a professional football player. You know what it's like to be in the NFL. What did you uh, think of the uh, dogs last week? 15 of them in total that uh, found a home in the NFL by being drafted. It's a prolific haul for UGA. Good day for the program. What were your thoughts as you watched it all unfold? I was just thinking about recruiting for for Kirby. I mean, you could go into a a athlete's home right now and and, and take that graph. 15 guys, you know, able to uh, live out a dream. And I mean, what else? What he have to say on the recruiting trail? You come to Georgia, you get developed, and you have an opportunity to live out a dream to go play in the National Football League. 
And we were talking about N'Kobe Dean there a moment ago, heard the uh, GM of the Eagles talking about their decision to draft him, their level of surprise that no one else had taken uh, him before they had a chance to. You know, it's, it's crazy to me, N'Kobe, that some of the uh, – excuse me, Terrence, about N'Kobe, that some of these teams just kind of fall into that trap of – well, if everybody thinks he's hurt, he must be. Or if everybody thinks he's too short, then he must be. That, you know, sometimes when it comes to NFL guys, there seems to be, and I hate to say it this way, but kind of a lack of courage to stand on your own convictions of, you know, everybody who kind of wants to fall prey to the same line of thinking, the kind of group think type mentality here. You know, I do think a guy like Dean deserves better. Of course, we're also biased here because we saw him play each and every game for the dogs. But um, interesting to hear the the Philadelphia Eagles GM kind of go into the process that would allow so many teams to pass on Dean so frequently that they were able to scarf him up there in the third round. Yeah, I'm very shocked. I think anyone with a uh, any football knowledge, uh, I just think a common fan was very shocked that Nicobe Dean lasted to the third round. And I'm very shocked that him being a, a very well-liked and a damn good dog, um, the leader of the best defense in college football history, I'm shocked that the Atlanta Falcons really passed on him for a guy that played at Montana State. And I don't know much about he could turn out to be a, a heck of a football player, but I just think you, you have a guy like that and and let the common fans know that sometimes the owners have a obligation to themselves is to make money. And they sometimes don't really care about winning. And in this, I just think the Falcons had an opportunity to draft a local uh, Georgia Bulls out that would, would probably were brought more Georgia fans to the stand to see N'Kobe Dean play. So I just thought the Falcons had an opportunity to really get a great player, a great leader that probably going to be leader of the defense for the next 10 years, and then a local product that you can really exploit as far as monetizing-wise. So I'm, I'm really shocked on that. I'm really shocked he lasted that long. And this is not a bias because he played at Georgia. Just looking at from a, a leadership standpoint, a football player standpoint, it's shocking that he lasted to the third round. I think that's well said. Of the guys that did get drafted, Terrence, who are some fits that you really like? Is there a player in his NFL home that you think is set up well for success? I think uh, the, the Philadelphia Eagles did a great job of yeah. uh, drafting Jordan Davis and getting his running mate uh, behind him in the Kobe Dean. So I think uh, for the Eagles, you got two bookends there that's going to lead your defense for years to come. Uh, I think uh, George Pickens went to a great situation. I think uh, Mike Tomlin is one of the best yeah. uh, coaches in the NFL. Uh, I think he he has the cachet and the uh, the personality to kind of help George along the way with some maturity issues. And I don't really want to call it maturity; it's just the way he plays, and he can really man to continue to play with that chip, but also play within the rules. And I think he fits what Pittsburgh does—just a hard nose. Yeah. Uh, football player that, that just going to come to work bring lunch pail. I think that's a, that's a great fit. Uh, and I'm just happy for Trayvon Walker. Man. I, I don't care um, what people say. I, I saw a lot of people talk about his production and his stats. And I tweeted the other day, if you really look at the Georgia football team, no one rotated more in their front seven yep. than Georgia, Georgia did. So if you play 15 to 20 steps more average a game, your production should be higher than a guy like Trayvon. And I'm looking at his ceiling, mate. His ceiling is unbelievable. And I think if you looked at him from a Georgia schematic standpoint, he played nose tackle, he played a five technique, he played a three technique, he played outside edge, he played everywhere on that defensive line, probably size nose tackle. That's a zero technique. So yeah. he just had diversity on that front line that I think the Detroit Lions, not so I'm sorry, Jackson the Jaguars could not pass up. What I have said about Pickens to Pittsburgh is you know, that's a blue collar town, Terrence. That's a, you know, longtime industrial type town, especially when you go back, you know, over the course of decades here. There's a lot of, you know, kind of tough, hard nosed folks that live there in Western Pennsylvania. And so the idea that Pickens, who I do not think of as a prima donna wide receiver, I think of him as a, as a workhorse type guy, the kind of guy that embraces the physicality, the kind of guy that's going to fight you on every single play. You know, I, I don't really quite know how the quarterback situation sets up for uh, George right now in Pittsburgh, but in terms of his playing personality being well received by Steelers fans, and gosh knows there's a gazillion of those, I think Steelers fans are going to love Pickens. I think so too. I think he, to me, he he and and uh, the the kid from Ohio State uh, can't think not Avila the other one 
Uh, Garrett Wilson? Garrett Wilson has the best ball skills out of the receivers in uh-huh. this draft. I think there's opportunities where quarterback is misfires a ball and George Wilson and, and Pickett have the ability to twerk their body to maintain leverage on the ball and catch it in a way that I don't think anyone else in this class able to do. And I think this was a very, very deep class. Uh, and if you want my opinion, I think, you know, the Falcons probably should have went uh, the Maris kid first with the eight pick and got a George Pickett in the second round if you want to go receiver, in, in, in my opinion. But this receiver class is very, very uh, loaded. And there's a lot of great receivers in this draft. And I can't wait to see. But I think George, uh, to me, he, he fits what Pittsburgh wants to do. The other thing that I think is potentially a really good fit is, and I think they're going to use him like a wide receiver, and I've said this before this week, I really like James Cook in Buffalo. I think that's an exciting offense. I think it's one of the fun, entertaining teams in the NFL. Good system, obviously very good quarterback. They've come short you know, of getting to their goal of going by the Super Bowl, of course, but in terms of scoring a bunch of points, being fun to watch, clearly the Bills have achieved that, and I think that uh, Cook – could very quickly find a home in their offense in fact Daniel Daniel Jeremiah other very sharp NFL analysts are kind of saying the same thing so I like the idea of Cook in Buffalo I do too I like honestly I like Cook anywhere I just I've been uh talking about Cook for years about he's got to be the X factor in Georgia offense and he really became that X factor when we lined him up as a wide receiver and knowing that if there's a linebacker that goes out to the Z receiver and that means he's ZRX, I mean, he's the father's receiver outside. We know we got to go route or he can run some form of route that a true linebacker cannot cover. He, he catches the football like a wide receiver and he runs routes like a wide receiver. So he's a mismatch problem for any linebacker. I, I don't care who you are because he, he, he's a full four guy and he catches the ball very, very well. So he's a guy that they, they really have to utilize his talent. I think Buffalo has a a plethora of other offensive guys that's going to be able to single James Cook up against mismatches. And I think they're going to use him in a way that exploits his talents. I think he's a good fit. I, w- I was just hoping that he got paired with his brother. That would, would have been a, a yeah, great story to be Cook fun. brothers together. Been fun to watch. But I think he, he's going to have an excellent career. Is he going to be a guy that carried the ball and leads the, the team in rushing? I don't think so. But he's going to have an opportunity to be a true third down back and carry the ball on occasion. So I want to talk to you about uh, Eric Gilbert for here for a moment because when you look at uh, the upcoming mock drafts, you are seeing Gilbert in some of those. And in, even on this show, we said earlier this week that, hey, for Georgia to be as good in 2022 as it was in 2021, you need a few more breakout stars to emerge. And I'll be the first to tell you, I think that Gilbert you know, could be one of those based on kind of the way in which the spring unfolded. I think that's you know, a possibility here. And obviously when we've talked about Gilbert in the past, you know him well, you've cautioned us about not getting too out in front on all of this and allowing his process to play itself out. Well, I would say the process is playing itself out pretty well right now. And that, um, that it's fair to include Gilbert in the conversation of guys who could be big breakout stars for UGA this season and certainly could be on NFL draft radars as you head towards the spring of 2023. When you see the hype that's kind of around Gilbert post-G-Day and some of that we've contributed to, some of that's coming from you know kind of outside national-type sources, Terrence, as somebody who knows Arik and as someone who's preached caution before, do you think it's too much right now? Talent-wise. We're just going to take this on face value. Talent-wise, it's not too much. The young man has immense talent that can't be taken away from him. Um, he's big, he's strong, uh, he's fast, and he's able to catch uh, footballs from all different angles. That's from a true inline tight end, uh, from the slot, or from the outside. That is undeniable. God has given him a gift, and now he's, it's up to him to really uh, take advantage of these gifts. Is a little bit too much because of just the pressure. Um, he, he just wants to continue to be a kid, continue to go to class, continue to just be a normal uh, student athlete and get himself back together. It may be, maybe so. Uh, is it too much on Brock Bowers right now? No, because he's been able to showcase his talent. He's been able to show the world what he could do, and I think he's the best tight end uh, in, in America. Uh, but just for Eric right now, for him to continue this process of him being able to just live a normal life 
uh, and maybe a little bit too much. But the thing about it, he doesn't see this type of stuff. He doesn't see it. He doesn't care. He's not the prima donna that a lot of people made him out to be. He just want to be a normal person that loves playing football. Yeah, here's my thing on this. I don't think I would be contributing to this at all had he not had a good spring. And, you know, we heard whispers of, oh, you know, Gilbert's looking good during practices. And then he goes out and has a couple of touchdowns during G-Day. Now, I'm not going to tell you that G-Day is the ultimate proof of things because in the past, sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. But I think my comfort level in saying, wow, he has a chance to be a big part of this offense. You mentioned the talent part of this, which is obviously prodigious. But, you know, my comfort level in even having the conversation about Gilbert uh, and, you know, you know, being as big a factor as some of the mock draft type people seem to think that he could be is the fact that we did see evidence of that during the spring. So I guess my point here, Terrence, is it's not like it's coming from nowhere. Right. I mean, we saw it with our own eyes on G-Day. Right. Most definitely. I mean, he, like I said, the, the talent aspect of it is undeniable. He, he does have, uh, to me, first round talent to uh, help this Georgia Bulldog offense be what we think it should be. That is, that is undeniable. He went out and showed the world. And like you said, G-Day is not proof that this is going to happen in the, in the fall. But his talent is just too great for it not to be. So for that aspect, Bia, you're right. Uh, he showed his talent to the world, and now he's got people excited because of what he's shown in high school, what he's shown his short period of time at LSU, and what he's shown now and the whispers that we've heard throughout the whole spring. Now he's just got to continue to build, continue to get in better shape, continue to get his body right, continue just being a normal person, have to go look at Eric. And I'm, I'm excited to see what this season brings because I believe – He's going to be a big part of helping, you know, Georgia offense become uh, what Georgia defense was last year. And I think that's the way we're going to have to win this year, that the Georgia offense don't have to be transcended like the Georgia defense. But to me, I think the better players on the offensive side of the ball this year, the better players was on the defensive side of the ball last year. So the offense now is going to have to do more. They're going to have to do more because we can't sit here and say and hope that this defense is going to do what this past defense did. I just don't see that. I just don't think we'll be able to be what we were because we we lost so many leaders and great players. So now the offense with the better players have to be what we talk about, how explosive this offense is for us to get back to where we want to be. I want to finish with this. I want to ask you a question about Jermaine Burton here for a moment. And obviously Burton going to Alabama has been a hot topic. Georgia fans have weighed in on that. You've been you know good enough to weigh in on that topic a couple of times with us here too. But I want to ask you a different kind of question related to this. We know that Saban sold Jermaine on the idea of big stats and a lot of touches because Saban talked about that publicly. He he addressed that publicly when when Burton arrived the team that that was something that uh, he had said he had an opportunity to do at Alabama that maybe he wasn't going to have an opportunity to do at UGA. We know that. Yet since then, Alabama's taken another transfer wide receiver, the guy out of uh, Louisville the other day, and. There have even been some rumors here over the course of the last couple of days. They might also be in the mix for a guy like Jordan Addison, who's the Blitnikoff Award winner that we think might go to USC. But but apparently Addison and, uh, and Bryce Young have been working out together here a little bit. That's the potential of another transfer wide receiver. Terrence, in the past, you haven't always wanted to reveal private conversation, which I totally respect your right to do that. But I'm going to ask this question nonetheless. What do you think Jermaine thinks about being told, hey, come here, get a bunch of stats, then after that, Alabama goes out and brings in another and potentially even another transfer wide receiver. How do you think Jermaine might think about that? I haven't had a chance to speak with him about it. Uh, I texted him the other day, and the only thing I texted him because he's really close to Elias Rick. I just told you, you went there, keep your nose clean. I know we all know he just got arrested uh, for whatever reason. Uh, that's all I talked to him about. I just think he had a, a great spring. I think he had opportunity to show the Alabama coaches, what he could do. And I think a lot of the receiver aspect comes from, I just think Nick Saban don't want to get caught like he did this past season when his top two receivers went down. And now the the second group of receivers did not perform the way he thought they would. So I think that is the play. I don't know for sure that's the way I'm taking it, uh, but I haven't had opportunity to talk to him about it. And I probably won't uh, because – he believes in his talent that he's going to get those touches. I think he believes he did enough in this spring. And if you go and read the leaves that he was clearly the best receiver on, on the team this spring. Um, but I didn't 
text him or talk to him about it. I just talked to him about he's, he's close to a life. Know what you're there for to get an education and, and show uh, the world your talent because you believe you have more to show. Uh, so I'm just worried about that aspect, football aspect-wise, to take care of itself. Terrence, great stuff. Thank you for being here. Let's remind folks there as well, as, as I said before, it's a very busy time for you this spring. You're out there seemingly on a football field each and every day. For folks who want to get in touch with the Terrence Edwards Wide Receiver Academy and be a part of some of the great things you have going on, how can they get in touch? Oh, you can find me on all social media platforms as Terrence Edwards Wide Receiver Academy. Terrence, great stuff. I look forward to talking to you soon. Thank you. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. So here's my point in asking Terrence what I asked him. When you look at some of the hysteria that exists right now around name image likeness, around transfer portal, like I'm not against players getting paid, even though it's hard to say, players getting paid. I'm not against that. Uh, I'm not against players having the ability to transfer. But I do believe there is a misconception about the current sort of wild landscape. My, my, my belief here is, is that the current sort of lawlessness of this benefits a few players over the course of the short term, but it's actually not all that beneficial for the majority of players over the course of the long term. And I think that Jermaine Burton is an example of this. Now, Terrence Edwards uh, does not seem to think that it's maybe that big of a factor for Jermaine, and certainly Jermaine hasn't told him that it is. But if you're Burton and you've got Nick Saban saying, hey, come to Alabama, you get all the touches. Come to Alabama, we're going to make you into a superstar. And then Saban turns around and takes at least one more transfer wide receiver after that and potentially even another one. All of a sudden, doesn't that cut into some of what Alabama has promised you that you were going to get? To me, this is a little bit like playing roulette. For those who have ever been to a casino, played roulette before. We were just on the uh, Dog Nation cruise, Independence of the Seas. I spent a little time in the casino. I do enjoy that. I like roulette a little bit. I like blackjack better, but, you know, I, I like roulette a, a little bit. And, and you, some of you know it's the big wheel, and there's a ball on the wheel, and it kind of spins. Wherever the ball lands, you can win your bet. You can either bet on the color, either red or black, or you can bet one of the numbers. But everybody's putting their chips down on all the numbers and getting ready to make their bets. And at a certain point in time, is it a croupier? Is it the person that runs the roulette wheel? Is it called a croupier? The croupier says, no more bets. That's it. That's it. Now, that's a rule. That's a rule that's restrictive to those on the outside. But it's actually beneficial to those on the inside. Like that, That's an example of a rule that benefits the players. Because when the croupier, which is I believe what it's called, says no more bets, you get to look around and now you know who you're competing against. In one respect, it'd be kind of unfair to the players at the roulette table if somebody could just walk in right at the last minute and land that chip right as the uh, ball was landing. They would have an unfair advantage. The last to arrive in that case would have a little bit of an unfair advantage. To me, the analogy is perfect for college football, where it seems like liberal transfer rules, not politically liberal, but kind of open, openly, you know, liberal transfer rules would benefit players. But if you're a player that transfers and then the program uses that same liberal transfer rule to take a bunch of transfers after you, how much does that really benefit you? Wouldn't it make sense if there was some sort of barrier, some sort of restriction like the roulette wheel where someone steps in and says, all right, no more transfers. For those of you competing for playing time, you now know who you're competing with. The promises the coaches made to you uh, are now more likely to be kept because there are no more additions. I mean, wouldn't that be more fair to the majority of players? To me, it seems like it might be. Let's go cruise around the SEC here, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. I mentioned that a moment ago, onboard Independence of the Seas. We just were. Really sets me up for, you know, what's going to happen this summer. Now, I cannot wait to be back on a Royal Caribbean cruise ship again. I know many of you feel the same way. I hope you get a chance to be on one soon. In fact, let me encourage you to make your plans to do that right now because there are so many fun things going on with Royal Caribbean here at the moment. And you can find out more about this by checking our friends at the Cruise and Vacation Authority. It's TCAVA.com. That's their website, TCAVA.com. You can also give them a call, 770-952-8300, 770-952-8300. Listen, when you look at a Royal Caribbean uh, cruise vacation, the thing that you've got to understand is, is 
there are so many things to do that would take me more time than I have to tell you about all of it. I'm talking about Broadway-style shows. Grease, the musical, was on the ship that we were on. If you're one of these Oasis-class ships, you can see the Aqua Theater show, the high-diving show off the back of the ship while the ship is moving. There are ice skating shows. There's everything else. There's live music all over the place, like half dozen different places or so you can hear live music. Uh, you go on like one of the uh, the brand-new Oasis-class ship, the largest cruise ship in the world right now, Wonder of the Seas. Try some of the great new specialty restaurants there. Um, there's all kinds of specialty restaurants across the entire you know fleet of ships. When we were on Independence of the Seas, there's a Playmaker Sports Bar. There's a Chops Grill. There's actually a Chops Grill on all of the Royal Caribbean cruise ships now. That's the kind of the specialty restaurant steakhouse, kind of a signature-type restaurant. There's a Zumi, which is like a teppanyaki-style hibachi restaurant there's just so many great options available for a royal caribbean cruise vacation you know how much fun it is because you've heard us talking about it flow right on the back of the ship some of the ships have like bumper cars and all kind. just it's amazing all that's available to you so my encouragement is to you to check that out today my friends of the cruise and vacation authority can help you do that my music has ended which means i'm talking way too much so let me kind of fly through a few stories here just for a moment uh so very interesting story from Ross Dellinger, Sports Illustrated. He's actually had a few of these stories, of course, the last couple of days about kind of an organizational institutional response to what I just said a moment ago. The fact that there is a growing concern that the NIL stuff is just getting too crazy. The, the transfer portal stuff is just getting too crazy. Now, there are some criticisms, and some of this may be valid, that the powers that be in college football, this is kind of below the level of the NCAA probably, but the conference commissioners, those who have you know kind of a chance to do something about this, maybe they didn't act soon enough, and now the issues that exist exist because of their inaction before. Maybe that's the case. Maybe it's not. I think different people can have different opinions on that. But one thing is for sure, no matter how much inaction there may have been in the past, there is attempts at action now, including what's being told uh, SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey, uh, Pac-12 Commissioner George Klyakov going to Washington, D.C. to meet with a couple of senators as a way of seeing if they can get the uh, Congress to step in and kind of come up with some national legislation that would supersede the state laws and anything else when it comes to name, image, and likeness. I think this is interesting for a couple of reasons. and I'll try to go through this quickly. First of all, you know, we're not going to get into politics part of this, but the the senators they're meeting with are like a Republican and a Democrat. There's a little bit of a hope that they can kind of come up with like a bipartisan coalition for for all of this. But that's as far into the politics as I'm going to get. But the other thing is. While we are SEC homers here, admittedly, we do understand why there are people that believe that college football can be better if it's a national sport. And from that standpoint, I think the relative weakness, both at the administrative level and certainly the on-field level for the Pac-12 has been a real problem. Pac-12, I don't know when they'll be better on the field, but better in the boardroom, better in the offices. I think they are. I think the fact that Klyakov is the one going with Sankey to Washington, I think is a pretty good sign. The fact that Greg Sankey, who I do believe genuinely has been a good steward of you know, his league, the SEC, and a good leader for college football, about as close as college football has to any real leadership. There are um, you know, some less than brave figures who are in charge of some aspects of the sport. Sankey's not really in that group, I don't believe. The fact that Sankey seems to vouch for Klyakov enough to make him his partner going to Washington here, I think that may be a good sign for the sport that that maybe the relatively new Pac-12 commissioner here is going to be a little bit more forward-thinking, a little bit more football-centric than the previous Pac-12 commissioner who, you know, heaven knows what he thought about anything, didn't seem to think much about much. So I think that's probably a pretty good sign. And I do think the fact that even if it's in the minds of some too late or even in the minds of some not even the right thing to be doing, the fact that there is at least some response to the documented craziness that has been going on i believe that to be a good thing then there's this slightly different topic but same general idea ohio state athletic director gene smith has talked about a brand new path forward for college football here as big a name to suggest a radical change here to the sport what smith suggests here and by the way how about uh good producing work to get a little bit i had no idea we had gene smith b-roll uh in our uh uh vault but somehow some way i guess we do so uh pretty impressive stuff that's also very inside baseball but nonetheless the point of all of this is 
is that um, is that Smith is suggesting that maybe college football should break off from the rest of college athletics and kind of be underneath the umbrella of the college football playoff and no longer underneath the umbrella of the NCAA. Now, Smith is far from the first person to bring this up. I would say that he's maybe the most prominent dude to do that. And I'm going to say this there as well. I realize that we are in like neck deep off season. I understand that. And in the off season, it seems like there's always all of these like crazy suggestions that get thrown out of what if Auburn goes the SEC East or what if you played a different team other than your own during spring games? Like there are all these like common topics that we bring up each and every year, the kind of what if scenarios around college football. And I know that some of this stuff right now probably feels very similar to some of the what if stuff you've heard in the past. I really do believe this is different. I really do believe when you've got Greg Sankey in Washington, Pac-12 commissioner in Washington, Gene Smith talking about a, a true you know, severing of the, of the NCAA governance to the extent they even had any governance over football, but truly severing that and breaking that off. I mean, I think this feels really different. Like, I do believe that college sports are heading for more big changes, even than the changes we've seen the last couple of years. And as someone who cares a lot about this topic, both as someone who makes his living talking about college sports and certainly my number one pastime, my number one hobby is following these sports, Georgia included. It's the thing I enjoy from an entertainment standpoint more than anything else. Like, I am concerned that some of these changes won't be changes for the better if somebody doesn't step in and do something. I mean, go back to the 2020 season for a moment. Had no one stepped up, had no one led, we wouldn't have had a season in 2020. And some people thought we shouldn't have a season. But push, pushing that aside, the thing that caused college football to even take place in 2020 was brave leadership stepping up and saying there is a safe way to do this we think we can do this we are not going to fall prey to the mob mentality that demands the season be canceled we're simply not going to do that and in retrospect i think most would say that was the right decision well the same kind of bravery and leadership that led the season to even occur in 2020 i think needs to stand up here as you move into future years and say College sports, as we understand it, is worth saving. We are not going to stand by and watch this be sabotaged by radical elements. I just think that's what it's going to take, and it's going to be interesting to see if someone truly steps up and does it. Very quickly here, you have seen maybe the reports, uh, that, but that's Brew McCoy on his way to uh, Tennessee. We'll get to that in a moment, but you've seen the reports. Jordan Addison, Bolitnikoff award-winning wide receiver in the transfer portal. Uh, it has been largely thought that uh, Addison is on his way to USC. However, somebody somewhere is working very hard to make it make you think that he's considering other places, including as of late working out with Alabama quarterback Bryce Young. I talked to Terrence Edwards about this a moment ago. Do we really think that Young working out with Addison is evidence that Alabama is in this recruitment? Do we really think that it's been rumored that Texas could be a part of the Addison recruitment? I kind of don't. Let me tell you where I think this is heading. We heard about USC and Addison before we ever even heard about Addison transferring. All of the circumstantial evidence would lead you to believe that Addison is only transferring because USC came after him. I think it's very likely that some of the, you know, Addison rumor mill as of late has all been, I believe, a giant smokescreen to make it seem like he only decided where to transfer after he put his name in the transfer portal. Most people, though, I think rightly understand this has kind of always been a USC story. First of all, if this is NIL related uh, in any way, we know Texas isn't going to step up to the plate. There is no program in college football that's more all hat, no cattle than Texas, including the NIL stuff, which is supposed to be the thing they're supposed to be good at. They're supposed to have a bunch of money, but apparently they don't even have that either. There is no bigger phony and fraud in college athletics than Texas. Uh, they're not going to be able to step up and uh win this for Addison, nor do I think the presence of Addison working out with Bryce Young standing as proof of anything. When it's all said and done, I believe Addison's going to be at USC. Now, I think the $3 million number that Colin Cowherd threw out is a phony figure, but nonetheless, I believe that some of the smokescreen around where Addison might go 
is coming from some folks trying to play defense on the idea that USC essentially got caught red-handed trying to tamper with Addison off the uh, pit roster. Now, I mentioned to you yesterday, Brew McCoy, is this the, what, the ninth time McCoy's transferred? <laughs> it's at least the third, right? Uh, and some of that's transferring back to you, what, you know, for USC, Texas, and back again, whatever else. He is now on his way to the University of Tennessee. So there you go for the uh, for the for the Vols uh, picking up. I, I guess you'll call him a former five star. Uh, this is you know a pretty interesting story, I guess, but uh, still a lot to unpack on this. McCoy on his way to Tennessee will make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And this is the portion of the show where I get to do something that I really enjoy. We have been talking now for a number of days about our championship moms, courtesy of Kroger. And I tell you, and I hear this from our staff there as well, folks who get to behind the scenes, read uh, the submissions, drawing out the winners at random and giving me a chance to tell these stories on the air here. Y'all, I wish I could read every one of them. I, you know, I wish I could do just sort of a separate show. Where we do nothing but celebrate the moms in our, um, in, in, in our audience. And what's cool is, you know, we've had people nominate their own mom. Uh, the winner yesterday was a guy nominating his wife. Today, the nomination is for a guy's sister. This is just kind of what we see, right? We see, you know, whether it's our own mom or just one of our family members who is a great mom in their own right. People want to honor that right now as we head towards Mother's Day on Sunday. And I think this is a great thing. So our winner for today is Diane Wilson uh, from LJ, Georgia. And what uh, is shared about Diane from his bro- from her brother is that in addition to raising two strong, independent daughters who are pursuing careers in physical and mental health, uh, she's touched the lives of countless other children, teenagers, and young adults. Her home's always been a safe place for those with uncertain or even unsafe homes to come and stay for a few nights, few weeks, or even a few months in a couple circumstances. And how valuable is that, giving a, uh, a safe home and a, and a safe place for those who need it? I think that's just beautiful. Uh, Diane's also mentored and guided others through her work with the Girl Scouts, led two uh, troops and assisted numerous others and church activities there as well. And here in the last several years, she and my brother-in-law have become foster parents, adopting one of the foster children already and likely to adopt another here soon. This is unbelievable. It goes on to say about Diane that she epitomizes to me the selfless, caring, positive love that mothers have and has shared that love with so many without hesitation. I am very proud to call her my sister and feel that that she deserves recognition for what is often a thankless and unappreciated work that impacts so many positively and makes the world a better place. Thank you for recognizing those like her that protect and guide our most important resource, our children. That is beautiful. I couldn't have said it better. Great photo of Diane there. Diane Wilson from Ella J. First of all, beautiful part of the state as well. Um, But uh, Diane Wilson from Ella J. She is our championship mom, courtesy of Kroger, not just for the love she shows to her uh, own children, but the love that she's shown to the community and then adding more people into her family so she can help spread some of that love that she has to give. That is a great, great story. Kroger, so proud to honor our championship moms here around Dog Nation. And by the way, as you get ready to celebrate your own mom and have your own Mother's Day celebration, check out Kroger for that. Kroger.com slash Mother's Day. You can find out about the big savings, whether it be on gift cards or uh, flowers or the, the stuff for a great meal. You can also just kind of do, you know, stop in store and see this there as well it's a important today to have a big day coming up there uh with mother's day on sunday and kroger's going to help you get ready for all of that and tomorrow we actually get to give you two championship mom winners i'm really excited about doing both of those with you tomorrow this is a great time to be able to do that and if i could toast every single one of these mothers in our audience you better believe that i would and if i could toast them you know i'm toasting them with a finished long drink there as well so if you haven't enjoyed some finished long drink this is the time to do it i don't know that anything goes i mean when i think about being uh, in our local pool and hanging out with my neighbors things like that a big cooler full of finished long drink just seems to be the right thing to do with that with it was certainly our story last summer and as we had ready for another um you know summertime of being out in the pool and enjoying the beach and everything else the finished long drink is going with us on that there as well so if you haven't done this before check out thelongdrink.com it's thelongdrink.com and you can find out about the four different varieties the traditional in a blue can that's a gin kick with uh, kind of a grapefruit uh, flavor to go along with that or the long drink zero a lot of you love that no carbs no sugar others of you love the long drink strong because it's eight and a half percent alcohol by volume comes in a black can get the long drink cranberry there as well whichever variety you like you can actually try all four get one of those eight can variety packs that's f- 
two different cans of each of the four long drink varieties and figure out which one you like the best, whether it be at a golf course or a bar or a beverage store, uh, wherever. There's a lot of availability here around the state of Georgia and the Atlanta area where I live. So check out the longdrink.com for a lot more on that. So the aftermath continues of May the 4th yesterday. That's known as Star Wars Day. Uh, we gave you a Star Wars-themed golden shoe from the dogs yesterday. We'll give you another one here. Our buddy Bass and Dog got in on this. I call him Baby Yoda. I guess his official name is Grogu. I don't think that's a very good name. I'm going to stick with Baby Yoda. But Baby Yoda holding the Georgia football here, I think that's uh, good stuff from our buddy Bass and Dog in response to Mad Dog, who had a great uh, <laughs> Star Wars-themed golden shoe. It did not go quite as well for the Auburn Tigers, though. Auburn had their own uh, uh, Star Wars-themed uh, tweet yesterday of Coach Brian Harson dressed up as Anakin Skywalker. Of course, the new series, Anakin Skywalker, getting ready to come out here very soon. When I tell you that a lot of folks had fun with this, Harson as Anakin, I should say as Obi-Wan Kenobi is what I mean to say. Obi-Wan Kenobi. Uh, Antifaldo on Twitter that uh, Obi-Wan and Brian Harson both in agreement that they're taking a beach vacation while all hell is breaking loose, obviously. Obi-Wan on Tatooine while Harson was on vacation along the way towards almost getting fired. The old chap checks in to say Obi-Wan season left, which is very funny for Brian Harson. Uh, uh, Rico Burt checks in to say Obi-Wan and 11. There were a lot of these really funny jokes about Brian Harson as kind of an Obi-Wan Kenobi type figure. Uh, really pretty funny stuff. Uh, Auburn kind of getting trolled by their own tweet there a little bit on that. So we'll give golden shoes to all of those folks. And also remind you, lousy stinking Gators. That's Georgia's number one rival, at least we believe. Good Georgia fans are a Gator hater first and foremost. And so we'll tell you it's been 4,865 days since the lousy stinking Gators have won a national championship and 177 days from right now. Dogs get another win in Jacksonville against Florida. We'll see you tomorrow. Dog Nation Daily presented by Meriwether and Tharp. And on the podcast, time now for the R.S. Andrews podcast, Cool Down. We'd like to take your comments here either at dognation.com or on Twitter at dognationdaily. I got a couple of really funny things. I guess we'll probably do these as golden shoes tomorrow. We're going to have a ton of shoes tomorrow because a lot of folks have sent me some good stuff. So it's obviously Cinco de Mayo, our buddy Sugar Ray sent a good thing there on that. Frankie Fibonacci, who's very funny. Today is also May 5th, which is 5-5. And so he says, I want to wish a happy 5-5 day, which is obviously A.D. Mitchell and uh, Keely Ringo, two stars of the uh, national championship game. So that's really clever and very well done. Um, and then I also got this there as well, which I thought was um, was you know really good there today. By the way, we got some great feedback on our championship moms thing we've been doing, which I love to be able to see. Um, very happy folks are enjoying that. Uh, <laughs> Craig Lawson also shared this on Twitter, and Champ Beyond wanted to make sure I see this. So if you look at all the uh, guys that Alabama's brought in, uh, obviously. Vanderbilt offensive lineman Tyler Steen. Of course, we know Eli Ricks. We know Jameer Gibbs. We know Jermaine Burton. Tyler Harrell, the wide receiver out of Louisville. And then maybe even rumblings and grumblings about Jordan Addison, the former Pitt wide receiver. With the commenter on Twitter says, all of this to help Bryce Young beat a walk-on quarterback? Basically turning the tables on those Bama fans when it comes to Stetson Bennett, which I think is really funny. I think very, very good and very well done. Love to see Georgia fans having fun on social media. And the fact that continues even during the offseason is always a great thing there as well. So great stuff by all of you. Appreciate you being here today as part of our podcast cool down. Y'all check out RS Andrews online, rsandrews.com for your air conditioning, heating, plumbing, and electric needs. Always really good stuff. And make sure you share your comments with me because I'd love to be able to read those right here on the air as well. Y'all have a great day. I'll see you back here tomorrow for Dog Nation Daily presented by Meriwether and Tharp. We'll look forward to speaking to you then.